0: Hello and welcome back to Complexity Impact with Professor Gonsalves. We are back again today for our next episode with uh, Constable Peters. We were talking with her at our last episode, we were discussing modern day slavery uh, and her experiences prior to entering the field of policing. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about her experiences in police, her journey there, her decision to go with the RCMP, uh, and hopefully we can highlight some of her experiences that you might find have value. So this is part of our Profiles in Justice segment. It's available on my website at www.engonsalvis.ca. It's also available on my podcast, which is available on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple, uh, under the title Complexity Unpacked, and the YouTube channel, which you are probably watching this on if you're seeing the video. Check it out. I have several great videos with former colleagues and friends uh, in the justice stream. My target audience, as always, is for my students primarily, but those interested in law enforcement generally are the conversations that help inform our perspectives. Uh, today, we will uh, sit down with uh, Sharon and we'll talk a little bit about her decision. So welcome back, Sharon. Thank you for being with me once again. Uh, I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: How is, uh, how is the cold snap in Alberta? How are you dealing with oh. it? Because my dogs are not liking it.
1: Yeah, we, I'm not liking it either. It was minus minus forty-two with wind chill this morning. So, it's a little chilly. I'm glad to be inside.
0: <laughs> and we thought we had it bad. So, this should come to a sh- as a shock to some of my listeners that are international. I have been watching and seeing that I've got people listening from all over Europe and some in the Middle East and some in India. And uh, minus 42 might seem scary, but here we are. In uh, I'm in Ontario, Canada, just outside of Toronto. Uh, and I'm speaking today with constable Sharon Peters, who's in uh, Brooks, Alberta. Uh, mm-hmm. so Sharon, you were a student of mine. You're a, a graduate of the college I teach at. Uh, yeah. I can't believe it's been almost 12 years. It's been 12 years yeah. since you were a graduate. I'm either been doing this a very long time or time just spends <laughs> away. Um, <laughs> how have you been? How's policing been?
1: Yeah, no, it's great to be here Neil. Um, I can't believe it's been 12 years. I didn't realize it'd been that long either. Wow. Uh, I'm doing well. Policing is ever-changing. It's exciting. It's challenging. It's frustrating. But honestly, I love my job. Best, best career choice. I'm so glad that I'm an RCMP officer and traveling across this great country of Canada. Um, I'm currently on my second posting. So right now, I am posted in Brooks, Alberta. And if any of your listeners watch on TikTok, we have a for community page. And you can see myself and a couple of my colleagues were on there doing videos all the time. Um, yeah, look up Safe Communities on TikTok and you'll find Corporal Josh Argue and myself, Constable Sharon Peters, and Miss Kendra Steven, who is our municipal employee. Um, but I work with a great team now in community policing. And a big part of our job is education. Uh, my specific role right now is school resource officer. So I work here in high school, elementary schools, um, building relationship with youth of all ages and I love it. It's been a really great change um from general duty. So for those of you that don't know what general duty is, uh general duty is when you call nine one one, it's the police officer that answers that call that's gonna come to your house or your emergency, wherever it is. Um that's
0: what I did in my Facebook. All right. Well we'll unpack some of that, Sharon, shortly. I um, uh, you know, I'd love to take some credit for your choice to be uh, in policing, but I don't know that that's fair. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, tell me, uh, did you always want to be a Mountie? Why the Mounties? Why RCMP? How did you make that decision? I know you've had a full life prior to policing. Uh, you have, uh, you're born in Africa. You grew up in Ontario. You went to university in the States, if I recall correctly. Yeah. You mm-hmm. came back, you did uh, some more work uh you grad- you went to graduate school with uh you know at the institution I teach at, and uh then you began a policing career so mm-hmm. at what point did you realize the r c m p uh was was the place you wanted, or how did you arrive at that?
1: Great question, Neil. <laughs> it was not on my radar to be quite honest until I went to South Asia with the international justice mission, and at that point, like I thought I was going to law school. So, when I went overseas, I realized um, in the casework that I love people. I love dealing with people in whatever capacity. Um, yes, I can study and do well on stuff, but, man, the details of law school is just not my jam. So, <laughs> it was really um, during that internship, and then when I came back, went to grad school. So, I did an undergrad um, in the state in criminal justice. But part of my feeling was that I didn't know what our Canadian system was like, and I wanted to know a bit more about the differences. So that's actually when I got online and found Durham College and your program and signed up. I was still in India at the time. I actually came back three weeks before classes started, and then during my time at Durham College, um, I got to do the practicum with the RCMP in Bowmanville, and that office specifically worked with human trafficking and human smuggling. I think now the office has been closed, but really during that uh, practicum with them and working with the police and seeing the other parts that uh, RCMP do is really what drew me in. A big part being that growing up in Ontario, for those of you who aren't from Ontario, uh, we have our own provincial police in Ontario and every big municipality has their own local police force. So for me, because I've lived in other places, like I'd like adventure. And the idea of like saying, okay, I'm forever going to live in London, Ontario as a police officer was not what I wanted. I liked the part with the RCMP that you get to move around. And I like the international aspect. That's actually a really big piece for me in joining was that at some point, and I still do, uh, would like to do an international posting with the RCMP.
0: So it's, uh, for those of you that don't know, especially listeners that are listening outside of Canada, and I know we have some listeners in the United States. um, So we have a, uh, you know, uh, we have a provincial system here where most of our local policing is done by our regional municipalities. Uh, We have three provinces um, out of the 10 provinces and three territories that have a a provincial uh, police service that would be uh, Ontario, Quebec, and Newfoundland. Uh, Outside of that, Uh, There are service level agreements with the RCMP that is our federal policing Mm -hmm. service across Canada that works in combination with, uh, you know, local municipalities and provides uh, service to those areas. So if you're a listener from Ontario. You might not fully understand why Sharon was talking about calls for service because RCMP have a different function here. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that structure does change from province to province. So just to just to put some sort of context for listeners that might not know, um, the RCMP is obviously uh, stationed across the country. And one of the challenges that uh, students discuss often is the possibility of being posted far away from home. So uh, mm-hmm. advantages and disadvantages, you must have had to ponder that one. Talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
1: That's a huge one. And even now, it still is. Um, so, when I joined, I was very much excited. I was young in my mid 20s, single, ready for the adventure. Didn't matter to me where I went. I actually got posted to Will- Williams Lake, D.C., which, if you look on a map, is like 4,000 kilometers from Ontario. And, you know, I was reflecting today about it. Like, when I got on that plane to fly out there after my training in deco, um, it kind of hit me when I landed. I- okay, like this isn't just going to university and coming home. Like now I'm starting my new life and like, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. Everyone struggles. You're learning a new job. You're learning a new community. You're trying to find a place to live. You're doing all the things, um, but it's part of the adventure. So for me, um, I saw more advantages than disadvantages. I also wanted to travel more of Canada and experience more outside of Ontario. That was a big piece. Um, but there are lots of people that join later in life. So I was one of the younger people in my troop. Uh lots of people were married and had kids already. So for them to uproot families to move, that's quite difficult. Absolutely. That's a disadvantage. Um but there is something you need to know. Like the R C M P is moving away from you need to move every two to three years. Um they yes, your first posting, you're gonna sign a million times on a dollar line saying you're willing to go anywhere. And you really need to be. So when they tell you in depot like where your first posting's gonna be, uh, shouldn't be a surprise that you may not like it. <laughs> there's <laughs> lots of communities um that need to be uh serviced by the RCMP and it's hard to put experienced members in some of those places. Uh general the general feeling is the first post for sure, it's kind of up to the RCMP and then after that you get a say. So then there's it's working with staffing and trying to um negotiate a little bit about like whatever your family circumstances are if you have kids that have health issues or yourself develop something and you must be closer to a big hospital um they will take that into accommodation
0: but, so flexibility yeah. and adaptability is key at the at the offset and you kind of really yeah. want to have that uh you know be open to those possibilities um Alright, um, let me let me flip, because uh, one of the things I have done with this podcast is try to ask the difficult questions sometimes that people don't want to talk about, and so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, you have now been on uh, the RCMP since 2013, so you're coming up to almost 10 years. Uh, we've heard a lot about the RCMP in the news. Some good, some not so good. Some of the things that I was talking about in class not very long ago when I was covering cases. Uh, was some systemic issues that created challenges for female officers within the service. You were aware of this prior to going in. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure if you were or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your experience because at some point I am going to make the transition in this interview to women in policing and you sound yeah. happy with the RCMP. So can you share with us your perspective on, uh, on you know, those things that we talk about in the news and uh, in yeah. classrooms?
1: Absolutely, Yeah. Um, I came in with eyes wide open. Like I had, there was already lawsuits and things, um, in the works. So yes, I learned a lot. I read a lot before joining. Um, I had, my dad had his friends ask him, why are you going to let her be a, a police officer? Like the RCMP doesn't have a good reputation. Right. You Neil, know, like for my experience, I have worked with phenomenal people and-, and I can only speak on a personal level. I have, mm-hmm. um, yeah. At work, I have not been sexually harassed. I have not felt unsafe. I have not had um, some of these terrible situations that a lot of women have experienced. Um, A lot of those things that you're reading, yeah, those are real stories. And my heart breaks for those women. Um, But I can speak to the fact that there are a lot, particularly men, right? Like Policing is still predominantly men, right? Uh, In my first posting going into Williams Lake, I think there was four females there. Right. About 50, 50 members. So right. there's a pretty good show. Here right now, there is two female police officers, and we have about 25-ish right. uh, at different times. Now, when I first got here, we had almost eight eight of us. People just transfer, So that's part of the flux of it. Um, right. But I have overall had a really positive experience. I've worked for all kinds of bosses. I've had all different kinds of bosses with different styles. But um, right. I have been treated with respect and kindness And I've been given opportunity. Um, But yeah, there definitely is those issues that are within the organization. Um, The organization is trying to work at combating them, at making a process. But for us now to lay a complaint of any kind, it's a lot easier to go through a process. There's internal and external processes. Um, Mind you, everything is stressful. If, If you're going through a process like that, that's gotta be stressful. Um, but I've also worked in slightly larger detachments, So there are lots of detachments that are four people. You have a a corporal and three constables, um, or slightly bigger than that. So for me, like just thinking about it, I'm like, you know, if something was going on here, like I have different people to go to, um, where if you're in more of a secluded Northern posting, um, you're kind of at that disadvantage, right? So, yeah.
0: So I, you know, I mean, I, I want to, I want to be clear here. You know, I'm not, uh Alluding to any sort of, uh, or trying to give any impression that everybody's experience is the same. So I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm I'm not trying to bias the conversation. uh, And that's why I ask these questions. There is, I think it's important to go in with informed consent, know what you're doing, know what you're going in, go in with eyes wide open, uh, which is not to say that every policing organization is the same. Or everyone's experience is the same. And that is not to take away from those that have had negative experiences. And I don't mean just women. Uh, anyone who feels marginalized yeah. in any way. Uh, the demographics of policing, I'm more familiar with the statistics in Ca- in Ontario. Uh, but, you know, as a general rule of thumb across this country, we have gone from about 4 or 5% in the 80s to around 22% uh, female participation. Uh, minority participation is also low. But it's in those slow changes that the culture changes. And it shifts. Yeah. and you know, I think the, the message is, um, that I try to push whenever I have these conversations is that these aren't women's issues. These are everyone's issues. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and men need to be involved. We need to have the discussions and we need to have them openly. And that's mm-hmm. part of growing and shifting cultures. So, you know, I, I just wanted to put that out there because I was just talking about that in class the other day, and it was, uh, a statement mm-hmm. about these are the cases, this is the allegations, this is the process, and always the hope is that positive uh, positive change comes from things like that so mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you're having a good experience uh tell me a little bit about so you went from your first posting was in British Columbia and now you're in Alberta, but I want to backtrack a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about uh, give my students my student listeners anyways a sense of yeah. what depot is like you know tell sure. me what you can tell me uh, yeah. anyways. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely their our training facility in Regina,
1: Saskatchewan, and that is where all our CMP members go to be trained as an officer.
0: Uh, sorry, so while I'm, you're so- there, yeah. I'm sorry, Sharon, I got to interrupt. I just want to be clear. So for those of you that are listening from outside Ontario and not familiar with the policing structure, our federal police have a primary location where officers go to train. Uh, that is their baseline constable training that they get before they're deployed. If you are in a province, you're probably training at, in Ontario, with Ontario Police College, then you do your local training with your local municipality. So that's why our staff that are hired for the RCMP fly out, uh, and they call it Depot. You can tell my listeners why, um, but it's in Saskatchewan, and that's their base. How long are you there? Can you just give us some, give us some background? So sure.
1: So, depot training division is there for about 6 year You're there about six months. It's extended a couple weeks now. With our, we now get trained on carbine, um, it's a semi-automatic weapon, and that's what my big carbine mags are. I don't know if you can see them, but yeah, these ones. Yeah. So there's a whole like. Now you go for a whole extra week of training with that and with I.R. So I.R. is um, just for the police tactics. About, um, but the easiest way to explain it is like a school shooting, just to kind of like explain to you what it's like to crew, uh, clear rooms talk with the team, how you have an active shooter somewhere and you're trying to find them. Um, so DEFO, when you get selected with the RCMP, um, you don't automatically, like you're not automatically hired. So with provincial police uh, or in Ontario, like usually when you are, you're hired and then you go to training. Here, you have to make it through six months of training. And there are lots of things that we do. So there's police uh, defense tactics, which you're going to learn, ground fighting and standing up fighting and all the things handcuffing um how to use your baton then there's who's driving so we drive around these white cars um that look like old unmarked vehicles around regina and you learn what it's like to drive a car talk on your radio look for a bad guy do all those kind of things Um, then you have uh, applied sciences which is basically learning the criminal code and having the discussion um talking through issues and our all of our rights based on the laws of Canada. And scenario based training. Um, and then you have firearms where you do police, uh, I mean, firearms tactics. So you have a shotgun, you do,
0: uh,
1: your carbine and your pistol. And then, uh, I'm trying to think if I missing anything else, but those are kind of like the different things that we cover off. And so when you go to depot, you're selected to be in a troop. And so a troop consists usually of 32 people at the maximum of 32 people. It's like your group the whole time during training. So when I went, there was only 26 of us. It was a slow year in 2013 um, for RCMP recruiting. And in the end, we graduated 19. So different people quit for different reasons. Some got injured. Some decided it wasn't for them. Um, right. Depot is definitely a, there's also a physical fitness component. It's definitely a stressful environment, but that's because giving about policing, especially in the last couple of years, we've all seen what policing looks like. It's stressful. Right. You're thrown right. into all kinds of scenarios, and you have to be able to. Um, handle people screaming at you and swearing at you and calling you all the things and still keep a calm level head, right? right? So, the purpose of depo is to kind of see like, how do you do under stress, right? one thing to be in a classroom,
0: another thing to be under fire for sure. So, uh, we are here chatting with Constable Peters, who's with the RCMP out in Alberta, and we're talking a little bit about her experiences coming out of school, joining, and we're currently at the stage where she's at depot, we're talking about her experiences there. Um, Sharon, tell us, you know, give give my listeners some p- perspective because uh, municipal police services aren't training for six months. Six months seems yeah. like a very long time. So, why six months? What's the advantage? Why is our federal policing uh, service spending so much time upfront on training? Do you have a sense, or do you feel you could answer that question for us? Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, I think a big part of it, Neil, is because so many of our officers, when you come on the depot, um, you're going to a small posting. So, lots of my me. like I went to a big detachment but lots of people went to places that were like 10 people maximum and lots of times they were working on their own within the first six months they were there so depot is to try and give you as much information and skill set so that when you get out there you can do the job uh, now when we first get out of depot, you're with a trainer for another six months right so for us we're almost a year of training uh, and there's all different benchmarks even out of depot when you're with a trainer that you have to pass otherwise if you don't pass they extend you right? A big part of it being liability. If you can't do the job or if you get scared, I mean, I am carrying a gun. So if I go to a call and I don't have police presence or I am kind of hiding behind my vehicle and someone just grabs me, I could put a lot of other people in danger. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's why the, tra- the, the training is long. That's just my personal opinion.
0: But well, <laughs> Well, it's, it's always, it's a different, uh, you know, rural policing is different than, uh, than city policing. Uh, you know, the accessibility of backup and, uh, they, they change, uh, some of the dynamics that go into your tactical considerations, I'm sure. So, yeah, you know, be. um, do you feel well prepared after six months coming out? What was your sense? And I, I don't, I'm not criticizing yeah. the training here. I'm asking perceptually. When you finished six months, did you stand there and go, yes, I'm ready? Or were you sitting there going, okay, day one's coming. <laughs> you know, what was
1: the feeling? I mean, there's definitely a feeling of accomplishment once you get through all those benchmarks because there's a lot of benchmarks. And, I mean, graduation day when they hand you your badge, like, I was so pumped. And I, yeah, I was pretty proud. Now, when I landed and got to my posting, I'm like, oh, man, like, it's no longer... Cause we would do timeout, I got to ask a question. There's no timeouts in real-life policing. And the detachment that I went to, um, like it's a busy spot and we had a lot of um high risk calls. Like my seventh shift I call I pulled my gun and thought I was gonna shoot a person. And so I remember in that moment going like, Okay, like all my training, here we go. And we just we did the whole thing and afterwards, like my partner and I like we talked through for hours what that what that feeling was like. I mean, we didn't end up shooting anyone, we got them in custody, it all was de escalated, um but there are members who go through their whole policing careers and never pull the gun. Sure, and that's so no, not necessarily a bad thing,
0: right? We're, we're no, okay with not. that. It, yeah, if yeah. you can get through a whole policing career without pulling your weapon, that's that's not a bad thing. Uh, you it's know, it's, uh, Although you had a great suggestion earlier, if only the police were able to call time out and ask a question, that might be helpful. Uh, sort of, you know, calm nerves down. It might be a great de-escalation tactic if we can get everybody else on board. Um, but. Uh, I'm I'm being utopian and you know, you're right. It's, it's happening in real time, right? It's unfolding mm-hmm. in real time. And a lot of the conversations we have in, in post-secondary, uh, and I am a person that's very open to being critical when there's something to be critical about. But I'm also very big on saying, when things unfold very quickly, uh, your decision making is rapid and the rest mm-hmm. of us in the public we have, we have days and months to play armchair quarterback the next day and sort of go, well, she should have yeah. done this. Um, yeah. that, you know, so I, I, you know, I commend you for that. And, uh, uh, but out there I'm, I'm recognizing that there's two sides to every conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so your, your first post, you, you graduate, you're feeling accomplished. You've got a, a tin and I know we don't wear it up on our, on our uniforms like they do in other countries. So that's in right. your wallet, but, uh, you know, and uh, just so you know, everyone earlier she was talking about. This is my magazine. For those of you watching the video, she was pointing. She's in full uniform. Uh, she's oh, not yeah. walking around <laughs> showing me what uh, weapons she has and magazines she has. She's in uniform. She's working. Uh, but for those of you listening on the podcast, she was just pointing to some of the uh, the equipment that she's carrying. Um, all right, John, So your first post is British Columbia, which by yeah. all by all accounts, beautiful province. But yeah. where in British Columbia are you station because you're not sitting on the harbor at, uh, at Vancouver Island. Uh, no. Tell us about your time in BC.
1: Yeah. So, Williams Lake is a community um, that is about six hours north of Vancouver, kind of central BC. And it's primarily like a logging town. Um, and there's lots of other things. But basically, we are surrounded by seven First Nations reserves as well. So, you have like different populations. Um, with different experiences. Now, one of the big things for me, um, coming from Ontario, uh, in history, like we didn't learn a ton about Indigenous culture. And oh. so even just within this last year, um, with all the residential school grave sites coming out, um, like my posting in Williams Lake had one of the last residential schools that closed. So St. Joseph's Mission School was there. And honestly, it was during my posting that I got to know some of the survivors of the residential school, um, and hear their stories. And it really opened up my eyes to a whole lot of things. Um, we deal with a, a lot of different uh, chronic issues, um, and a lot of violent things. And part of that, uh, part of my learning, um, was from elders and from some of uh, the indigenous members that I actually worked with, um, who taught me things about their culture, about family, about history, and I learned um, a lot of the, the policing things that we responded to came from trauma. And no, so, just, uh,
0: just to interject, sorry, Sharon. Just, uh, I'm hearing this a lot more and more from my students uh, about you know, the, the lack of content and depth of content that they provide in elementary and secondary schools. And uh, I've made an active effort to try and sort of point to some things. But really, uh, there's a lot of great Indigenous literature out there. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of great literature out there that I isn't read and covered by a lot of people that I strongly recommend. Uh, the Indian Act explained is is a worthwhile read, and you know, sort of yes. taking the time to understand the things uh, and the pieces of legislation that manage the affairs between the government of Canada and the Indigenous peoples uh, is an important place to start. Um, mm-hmm. The residential school conversation is not the only. Um, is not the only area of focus and to believe it was almost diminishes many of the other experiences so i'm strongly encouraging if you're listening to this uh when you're done listening to this podcast or watching this video find a book there's uh, some great books out there that give you a sense of what that experience was like so let's uh let's get back to sharon because you know i I value your time um i'm trying to do the in-betweens because at the end of the day this whole show is about you know broadening our horizons and talking about complex things. So, you know, you'll have to forgive the yeah. constant plugging of books, but, you know, it's no, no all right. So, yeah, not a problem at all. <laughs> so, yeah. British Columbia, you're in, um, so you're, you're having to work now. Tell us, is there a certain amount of interdepartmental cooperation that you have to work around because you're working with Indigenous people and police services, or how is your policing unit structured?
1: So we in Williams Lake had an actual Indigenous uh, policing, like, team. So we had a corporal and three constables who were each assigned to a couple of the different um, communities. And they were liaison people, building relationship with police. Um, we didn't have any, like, uh, indigenous police forces that I worked with. So RCMP patrolled and did all of the work on those lands um, right. in agreement. Like, they had some sort of agreement with the band. Sure. right? Yep. Uh every now and then though you run into issues and there are certain bands that don't want to cooperate and that's just the way it goes. So sure. um yeah, it definitely made for like we had a couple um communities that were very close to Williams Lake that we would go and do some presentations or we would be involved in things that they were doing with kids and some of our members like were playing hockey and building relationships that way. Um and then we had the other side where some of them wanted nothing to do with us, right? And um and some, it's just complex. Like, one of the stories I was remembering about this morning as I was kind of preparing for our talk today was this individual, we had a call to stabbing. And this young man had been stabbed five times. Family dropped him at emergency. Uh, we were there right away, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, we get the name of the person. like We know the family. Uh, mom comes. Grandma comes to the hospital. And I'm trying to talk to them about, like, you need to get your son to tell us what happened And, uh, she looked at me in the face and said, Sharon, I like, you can't take it personally, but you're a police officer and we don't trust police and we are not going to tell you our side. And from my naivety, (laughs) I didn't understand why, Um, like your kid almost died. like why wouldn't you tell him to tell me what happened? Um, but now as I have grown in my just immaturity and as all of like the Indian act explained, like these books have come out, they're so, um, informational really and build a lot of context to history that we don't know right. um for her in particular she just said to me like my mom taught me not to ever trust you i've taught my kids not to trust you right. it's just the uniform we don't trust the uniform right. and i said to her like, i'm really sorry to hear that like what can we do to change right. it and she said yeah. she just looked at me and she's like i don't know <laughs> right. but she had no interest at that moment right but i mean that's just one person who um, we dealt with the family like multiple times and that was a sad part for me because to see that part, that unwillingness to, um, try and sure. change, well, but then there's the other side and like, uh, we had an indigenous basketball tournament on a weekend with teams from all across BC that came and these right. kids were phenomenal and to watch them play ball and watch them just like high five and help each other and opposing teammates. Like it was pretty cool. Like, right. I don't know. It was, it was a neat moment for me as a police officer to be in that environment where right. uh, um, kids were like, they had goals and they wanted to go to university and they're working to scholarship because right. some of our like most notorious criminals at the time were teenagers um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? right. And right. so there's a lot to say about where, like, what your parents do and where you come from and the resilient right. spirit of yourself. But there's also something there. Um, I would definitely say the struggles in the policing world that we dealt with a lot um, come from all kinds of issues that unless they deal with it. And, and I mean, you know,
0: we, we, we know we know that there's sociologically a lot of reasons that influence people's lived experiences. Uh, when you're on the road and not doing the job, you're dealing with what's in front of you, not yeah. necessarily how we got there. Would that be a fair that's characterization? Right. Yes, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, all the same, if you're entering uh, knowledge, it's still powerful because it helps with empathy and understanding, and and it helps with understanding perspectives, right? And so while uh, you also have to live through institutional history, your uniform represents something that might transcend you as a person, uh, having an awareness is is part of the sort of moving forward stage, right? Mm Would that be... uh, Um, you know, all right. So you're in British Columbia for a little while. I don't, you know, and I I keep doing this on interviews. I keep going on and on because I'm so happy to talk to people about policing, um, you know, and, and without taking a biased approach, I'm trying not to necessarily make this a, uh, rise the police. And, you know, that's all we need to say, or just, you know, crap on them all the time because, you know, neither one of those are really productive solutions. Um, so you were in BC for a little while. I'm going to have to cut, you know, some of these segments. Um, you then get, how do you end up in Alberta? What's that transition about? Yeah. So I did five years
1: and then, um, we were starting to think, um, like wanted to be a little bit closer to family. And so we moved, um, yeah, our decision was to kind of move closer to my ex's family. And during that time, um, Alberta, a friend of mine moved to Alberta. She sent me the priority posting list. And so we looked okay. at them and, and Brooks was a place that we're like, you know what? It's right off highway one not too far from Calgary, not too far from Medicine Hat, both bigger centers. um, And it's a great spot. So I applied to be a school resource officer and then uh, basically go through our staffing and there's different people above me that make decisions. Um, And then it got approved. And so we moved here in 2018.
0: uh, Okay, so you had some agency. You chose, you you found the posting, you chose the posting. You weren't just reassigned there. So, you know, people do get a sense that there's opportunities that you can sort of take advantage of if that works well for your life is that absolutely fair? yeah all right so you're now in brooks alberta your community uh school uh, re- uh sorry the title was school community resource officer yeah that's I, I think i'm is that, that, school no, is resource that close officer, enough yeah. yeah school resource <laughs> officer uh we were in our prelim interview a few months ago because it's taken us a little while to get this uh on on the video um you were telling me about some great experiences and you said you've really enjoyed the work and you've enjoyed working with suits. So can you share, share with me your experiences there? Tell me what you like about what you're doing.
1: Uh, okay. So now I've gone from working shift work. So before I was working, um, yeah, 12 hour shifts, two days, two nights. So now I work Monday to Friday, eight to four. Um, I get to interact with kids of all ages. So right from when they're in kindergarten, um, sometimes I go and read stories and they want, they just think you're so cool right up until day 12 where kids may not love police anymore or they have a different idea. Um, right. But one of the coolest parts has just been building relationships with youth and coming alongside them when maybe they've made a wrong turn or made a bad, a poor decision and giving them an opportunity to learn some life skills. Right. Um, I don't always have to charge kids. It totally depends on what is happening. But my big philosophy is this is my first time I'm dealing with you. Um, and you can admit to me what you did wrong. And you can take some ownership, Like we're going to teach kids accountability, um, in a culture that's kind of going away from it. But that's my big thing. I want to teach them accountability. Um, and if there's some community service or some way to make things better, I want them to tell yeah. me what they think is a fair option. And that's awesome. been really cool to see. So,
0: yeah. so l- let me, uh, let me give you a harder question. Um, uh, yeah. th- there's some discussion, um, uh, widely out there, um, that is, is, the place for a police officer in a school, is that an appropriate place? Because you're having young people having potentially negative interactions with law enforcement early on. Does that shape and change their views? Do you, what what do you say to people that say, you know, really, do we need police officers in our schools? What would you say to that? For
1: me personally, absolutely. I didn't grow up in a school that had a school resource officer. So the first time I ever dealt with one, I believe was like when my friend got pulled over. Um, for me here in Brooks, Brooks is a really multicultural community. And we have a ton of people that come from all over the world uh, to work. And so most of them come from countries that don't have a familiar relationship with police or friendly relationship, right? So okay. a great part of my role is to get students um, to trust police, to not be scared of us. Um, okay. And so that we are someone in the community that when they see us, they come and ask for help rather than
0: hide right so um, we're trying to move away from this so uh, are you trying to share with my listeners that perhaps some of the predominant views of the police officer enforcing standards in a school yeah. is, is rather myopic and not covering the whole range of things you do there yeah 100% yeah okay Weird. yeah <laughs> i'm not there to, like enforce law i'm there to keep kids safe there okay, <laughs> there you go. Because, you know, uh, it's, often, it's often discussed along the same lines of, you know, now we got metal detectors in schools and some U.S. schools and some city schools, and now we got cops in there, and, uh, you know, there, there's more than that. The conversation is yeah. slightly wider than that, right? And, uh, so what are the positive sides of um, interacting in a multicultural community? Because let's be honest, not everyone's global experience with policing is positive. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of places, rightfully so. So, how do we bridge those gaps in a multicultural sort of uh, environment? It honestly, it takes time and it takes
1: face to face interaction and it takes, uh, yeah, sometimes it's like when they do get in trouble and realizing, like, I mean, I don't want to introduce myself as consul to you very often. It's Sharon. Like, I try to get on a first name basis with kids so that just to, try and bring them back down right like I'm just another human being doing a job and one of the things with high school especially is like I go into the law legal studies classes and we hammer out issues and we talk about the hard things and I try and share with them my experience as a police officer and what it's like and I also ask them like what their concerns are and we discuss things like in books oh you had a negative interaction with somebody on the weekend tell me what happened so I'm just another person um now like what we're trying to do here in brooks anyways is just to have um another safe adult that they can come to if things are hard at home um if they're unsafe at home i've had counselors call me and ask me to come to their office to speak with a student
0: um, So almost like a resource in the community who's an officer i think that was like covered in your title yeah. right <laughs> yeah, yeah fair enough you know I, I you know hopefully that makes a difference i mean I uh, I, I don't know where I stand on, uh, the first name thing. I, I think we've become a little informal in society. I'm a little old fashioned, but, uh, but I don't know, maybe, maybe my, my views on that subject are a little dated, um, you know, uh, too much familiarity, not always a great thing in my mind, but, uh, that's my personal bias. So, yeah, you know, I'll separate fair. that out for a second. Um, do you miss being on the road? Is there any part of the shift work and the road, the you know, the work you did before that you miss?
1: Oh, I think at times, yeah, I can miss some of the adventure that they're doing. Um, every, like Um I still, I have my radio, I mean, it's turned off right now, so we don't get interrupted. But like during the day, if stuff's going south on the road, um, I often go to a call with members to help, or like my boss will say, hey, Sharon, we're running short today. If you can help out the general duty guys, it'd be great. Um, and now sure. because I'm at, a, I'm almost at nine years, um, lots of members here still come right from Depot, So we still have a very young detachment. Uh, with a couple of years service. So there are days where, like, the, the person with the most experience is at two years, and then I'm in the pool. So they call and ask questions. Um, and I don't mind assisting in that way. But yeah, of course, I missed some of the fun stuff, but i uh, like, every detachment's policing environment is different, and the call type is different. So, like, they deal with different kinds of calls here, not the same to the extreme as the, the calls I had in Williams Lake on, like, a violent schedule or a violent scale, I would say.
0: Um, I hope you, I, I, I hope it wasn't violence on a schedule because I don't know. I, <laughs> mean, I, imagine, I imagine it would make policing a little easier if you could have violence on schedule. Uh, yeah. so listen, uh, I, I promised the listeners that, you know, and we titled this show women in policing. So, uh, I, uh, we're seeing more and more students, uh, female students coming through our, um, college programs. We are seeing a greater representation of, um, you know, uh, peoples who represent, who represent diverse communities, minority communities, uh, mm. people of the LGBTQ plus, uh, communities. So can you share with me in your opinion, from your perspective, yeah. um, as a woman on the police service, you are a minority, um, yeah. demographic, um, you work in a male dominated industry and that's just the way the numbers are. Can you mm-hmm. share with my female listeners perhaps, but also to inform my male listeners, um, and everybody else as well. Um, what that's like personally, like perceptually, is there a challenge there? What do you have to overcome? How do you deal with being in that sort of segment, that demographic? Yeah, sure. Um, I think ourselves
1: are our own worst enemies. <laughs> as females, like I still think, um, especially for myself, like there are times that I wouldn't apply to a job because I don't think I'm qualified. Where some of my male counterparts are much more likely to throw their name in because they're like, ah, Fake it till I make it, I'll learn it, right? Um but <laughs> because <laughs> we are the minority, um it, just in demographic wise, there is this weird like I've talked to other female members and we've all kind of feel that. We feel like we have to overprove ourselves. No one to saying we do. That's just our own thing in our heads that we feel well, like we aren't qualified or we don't want to be the one to take a job that we're not qualified for. Yeah. Meanwhile, um when I tell like my some of my guy friends at work, they're like, What are you talking about? You'd great at that, like are the opposite. So, it's, yeah, it's an interesting place to be. We definitely, like, I hope to see a lot more um, minority groups come through the rain. Um, policing is changing all the time and we need that background and experience from all the different demographics. Um,
0: do you think, do you you think of- that, um, do you think it's uh, a useful goal to have a completely representational police service, I you know, like what's our Canadian population, say 51% women, uh, you know, pretty close. Um, We have, uh, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 16% minority population. Like, are you looking, do you think it's an ideal goal? Is it a realistic goal to have actual population representation? I don't think so.
1: I don't think it is realistic. Tell me
0: why. Well, I think the biggest
1: thing, one thing for me, um, I have a son. Before I had him, uh, I was very career-minded and, like, I just wanted to work and do my dreams. And when I had my son, my life and my focus changed. And okay. that's where, like, um, lots of women in policing are in high positions and doing great things. But for me, in these next few years, like, I really want to focus on being a mom and being present with my kiddo. So that's also partly why right now, for me, like, Monday to Friday, 8 to 4 is perfect schedule. Because I can take him to daycare and next year he's starts school. Like, we can do all the things, and I'm not missing out on his life. Um, now, mind you, lots of people have good partner balance, and they're able to do all those things, and their partners are able to assist with child care. Um, I'm currently a single mom, so it's a difficult one. So, it kind of depends on where you are in life. One of the cool things with RCMP, though, I will say for women out there that want to be a police officer, I mean, the benefits as far as like your maternity leave, like I was paid ninety three percent of my wage for the year I was off. It right. it is the best thing at any police force. Like I once talked to a recruiter from Calgary and he said if you're gonna have any more kids, stay with the RCMP <laughs> because we only pay you fifty percent <laughs> while you're off. But right. they encourage family, they do, like that's part of um one of the benefits of policing. But our brains changed too, right? Like I went from being super like career focused <laughs> and driven um, right. and while I still have ideas, um, now my kiddo is kind of my focus. And so I work to live more than live to work, I guess.
0: Um, so, you know, but everything's these, different. right. But these gender issues, they're, they're, they're complicated ones, right. And, uh, mm-hmm. in, in that from a sociological level, we can sit and discuss the double shift and we can discuss mm-hmm. all of the factors that influence our lived experience. Some of it though, is part and parcel of a culture and tradition we do see disproportionate female representation in some fields over others that okay. seems to be a trend that you can't wave your finger at and change overnight but perhaps there are some women listening to this that might take offense mm-hmm. to what you said because perhaps, yeah, they might. Yeah. perhaps they, they're, they're hearing that being a, a mother removes your focus from policing but you're still on the job and that's taking away from from perhaps women that make a different choice There's something for everybody. Is that what you're really getting at? Yeah, there
1: is. That's what I mean. But I guess I'm getting at the fact that there's responsibility in policing. So like there's so many different avenues. There's so many jobs that you wouldn't even know that are necessarily police focused. Like, um, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. And I hope I didn't offend any women. Like there is a ton of cool stuff you can do. And it just depends on where you are in your stage of life. Right. Sure. Um, yeah, we can get we can debate with
0: that yeah. all day, but you know. <laughs> no, I, but you know, I think the point I'm sort of getting, trying to uh, to highlight or get at, or 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 get in a position on is people are different and people have different life circumstances, and there is an opportunity, and I'm trying to prevent people, from, at least my students, those in my sphere yeah. of influence from shutting down a door to themselves without looking at all the possibilities, because you might choose never to have kids and that's a perfectly viable choice. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you might want to do certain types of work and that's a perfectly Mm -hmm. viable choice for you, but you don't need to limit yourself in policing is what I'm hearing you say. You have aspirations to have a family for him, you know, and there are stages and, and you know, early. I'm, I think you have, it's not just women. I said, you know, you might find those that are offended by your comment, but I mean, equally we've heard the other, uh, we've heard a more sexist argument made that, uh, you know, men belong in this job because we're a lot distracted. And I've often reminded people that, you know, we're often not distracted because we don't go through childbirth and we don't take maternity leave. And, you know, and, and those are some cultural things that we've just carried over. It's given Absolutely. Us, right. So, um, any other thoughts you want to share with, um, you know, my female students coming in? We are doing more uh, to recruit women. And uh, interestingly enough, that doesn't always get a great reaction from the male students, right? And, yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah. here's, here's a, a contentious one for you. And, uh, you know, I've always said, if you look at a recruiting poster, you see all of the ethnic minorities and women on there. And people say, well, why aren't we on there if, I'm, if I happen to be male or white? And I go, what? Well, because I don't have to advertise to you. you're going to apply anyways it's not that you don't have a space it's that i don't have to put my marketing dollars on you know recruiting you uh today we're seeing a lot of women's symposiums for students we're doing women in policing events do you think that has a negative impact because i see some of the negative comments from my male students what what would you say if you heard uh, a young person in your job come to you and go so there's 16 women in policing symposiums Where's the men in symposium? You know, men in policing symposium. What would you say to a student that had that attitude or that mindset?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because I'm planning a women in policing symposium. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would I say to them? I mean, I would say, you know, if you're having a hard time already with the fact that I want to recruit more women, then maybe we need to think about what you think your job actually is. And if you're going into a mindset thinking that uh women don't belong in the police force well i'm sorry but that is not the case um every gender every whatever everyone has a place in policing um i have worked with people from all backgrounds and some of the best are the ones that uh communication skills right like you learned verbal judo um yeah, that individual student, I might kind of laugh a little bit, to be honest. And then ask them, well, like, why Why do you feel so strongly that way? Like, you know that you can be a police officer. Um, no one's ever told you you can't. Women for a long time were told they weren't allowed. And so we want, uh, especially here, so for me specifically here in Bronx, um, we are doing one specifically with our high school kids. Uh, we're going to target 16 to 24. And because I want females from different backgrounds, um, to know that it's an option for them. Lots of them, right. uh, even when we talk about it in legal studies, they say to me, well, like, my parents, there's no way they'd let me be a police officer, right? So we're right. trying to break down some stereotypes that people grow up with and biases and whatnot. Um, and also, like, I spoke to a student last week who, you know, we discussed different ways she could talk with her parents about uh, applying to the RCMP and what that means. Some people are just scared, right? But yeah. that individual young man, I am... I, I would take me back a little bit, to be honest. And then I'd just yeah. say, well, you're welcome to attend if you really want to. But, like, there's right. a lot of information out there. You've always known you can apply. Um, right. I can get you set up with a male, like, police officer. If you'd have to right. take you on a ride along. Like, we'll get you set up. Just let me know.
0: So, you know, I, it, it's funny. It wasn't a hypothetical question. right? I've been asked that question many times. Um, I've been at yeah. career events where I've had people ask me um, questions like, why do you focus on this? Why are you focusing on that? My answer, I usually come back to a marketing answer. For me, it's the most logical answer. I'm like, look at the statistics. The statistics will tell you that we're not having trouble hiring from certain segments. So you're not going to spend your marketing dollars and recruiting dollars because they're coming anyways. I I think, uh, you know, I've made the point, the average age, I don't know what it is for the RCMP, but in Ontario, uh, a municipal police officer coming out of Elmer, Ontario, OPC, ontario police college i keep using these terms and forgetting we have people that are not in ontario uh the average age is 27 right and we're so uh, i don't know how that compares against the rcmp do you know what your stats on average starting ages
1: i don't know what average starting is but i mean in my troop when i went through the youngest was 18 the oldest was 46 and i would say i was on the younger side and most of the people in my troop were in their
0: 30s so let me ask you this at the risk of you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask a question now, and I'm going to be, uh, somebody's going to think I'm, a, I'm an ageist. Um, but given, given the day and age in the society, how challenging is it for an 18-year-old to be a police officer? We have an aging population in this country, so an 18-year-old is well off the average. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're dealing in policing with complex problems. Uh, what age and life experience, you know, is, is there really an age and life experience at which you're better equipped, but really how challenging is this at 18? Um,
1: I would say like for me, I joined at 26 and even then I was like, like, there is a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah. At 18, like it, I would ask the 18 year old who wants to apply. Have you ever lived on your own? Do you know how to pay bills Um, what kind of things have you experienced in your life? Um, Some 18 year olds have gone through a lot. They haven't lived at home for years and they've had to be like kind of their own guide through things. But to like, think about the fact, like if you've never, have you ever seen a dead body besides being at a funeral and how are you going to react in that moment and how are you going to one, do your policing job? And then two, counsel a family who may just be coming home or may have just found someone deceased, right? Like it's difficult. It doesn't matter what age you are to do those things.
0: Right. And, 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 then and then let's the, be real that I think that's a challenge at any age because the yeah. vast majority of people haven't seen dead bodies. Right. And the yeah. vast majority of people have, or have they've seen them after, you know, they have been well taken care of by an undertaker. <laughs> so that is not a common experience, but I mean, I think we are seeing, um, you know, statistically speaking, children are remaining in a stage of childhood in longer than 18. Yeah. Socially speaking, yeah. they're living at home longer. Um, And while that's not, well, I understand the factors around housing and everything else. It does have an impact on your ability to relate to people. If you have come straight from your parents' home to a life in policing, I would imagine. It is.
1: Yes. Yeah. We we know that's a huge difference. Like I've noticed just in the past few years, um, doing lots of different cadets who've come from all different walks of life. Those who've had any kind of career before or, um, done something else like other than school too, like people that may have gone and. Uh, worked in the service industry for a period of time, right. uh, moved somewhere else, lived on their own for a bit, uh, they're right. able to think a little bit more critically in situations. Like there are definitely going to be times for sure, like someone right out of university or high school, like you get thrown in somewhere and maybe you're you are quick thinking on your feet. Um, right. But there's something to be said about gaining life experience. Right. And that comes from volunteering, that comes from working without pay. Um, it's interesting to hear at times, Different things uh, that people talk about, and then you right. find out a little bit more about where they came from and how they got to where they are. Uh, those that are like live with mom and dad right up until going to training, they right. definitely struggle when they're posted at their first post because they are
0: living on their own, right? So Sharon, let me argue back with you because I have students sure. that will tell me all the time, you know, it's all well and good for people with resource to go out and work for free. I can't right. afford that. You know, and so my resume doesn't, is not full of internships and they're not full of volunteer experiences because I had to work and, yeah. you know, my peers in the class have filled their resumes, but have never worked. So it's a fine balance, surely, which are trying absolutely. to find, you know, what would you say to those students if they're coming to talk to you? Yeah. The ones that have worked hard, um, but I've been unable to, you know, do more because they're yeah. required to earn a paycheck.
1: Uh, I would say, first of all, the fact that you've held a steady job and you show up every day, that matters. Um, The way that you treat the people that you work with matters. The way that you talk to people that are rude to you if you're in customer service, um, that all matters. That all builds character. It all um, builds life skills. And so, yeah, if you're coming from an environment, uh, especially in Ontario with the pricing or Vancouver, um, I understand why people are living at home. I totally get that dynamic. Um, but there is something to be said, definitely, um, about taking your experience, like, wherever you work, like, how do you treat going to work? Do you sleep in? Do you miss a shift? Like, do you call and text last minute saying you're sick and now you leave your coworkers stranded for the day? Um, those little things, while maybe working in a job, a corporate job, uh, may not, like, cause your coworker to be really out to lunch for the rest of the day in a policing world. If you're working with two people and one person called in safe last minute, well now you've left that, left that person by themselves for potentially like dangerous shift. Right. Um. Okay. So there's just like, I think whatever your life experience is, as long as that you can really talk to uh, core values, uh, okay. RCMP has their core values, which is honesty. Like if you can be honest and accountable, that's a really big one. Integrity. Ah, uh, professionalism. They're looking for communication, accountability, and respect. So, like those things, you can learn on any facet of what you're doing in the world. Um, right. So, don't let yourself off if you're not able to be volunteering. Right. Absolutely, you can. You can explain that in an interview. It's just right. showing, like, well, if my coworker, like, say, so and so had surgery, like, I'm going to cook dinner and take it to them. Like, how am I serving people that I'm in contact with every day? How do I go above and beyond with my boss? Um, that's all
0: relevant information. So, so, you know, it's, uh, and uh, obviously you and I could probably sit and discuss this until, you know, the cows come home. Uh, but I don't even know if that's an expression anyone uses anymore, but uh, I'm dating again. I'm dating myself. Um, you're you're out there. You're you're interacting with youth. You're talking to youth. I'm doing the same. Um, you know, I've made uh, a And tell me if I'm biased, or you can add value. So you are a bad example, and I always say that uh, you're a bad <laughs> example. No, no, no. Hear me out. Let me finish the thought. Because not everyone can do everything you have done in your life, and you've done a lot, which doesn't yeah. mean that other people are not good candidates. They just have different experiences. So yeah. you know, sometimes we hold up the the exemplar and we go. So here's a, here's a woman who has been to the States for education. She's been in Canada. She's traveled to India. She's worked with slaves and that can really cause some other people to go, well, I haven't done any of that. And I'm, I'm trying to get at, you know, there's some fundamental things like you're talking about life experiences. Those are great if you can do them, but if you can't do them, right, there's other things that you should be working on. What would you say they should? So, you know, How do they, uh, you you listed off all the things that police look for, and those are some of the core competencies, but how do they demonstrate that? And is that part of, you know, their regular everyday life, living consistently? What would you say is the value of, you know, uh, being consistent in character, for example? It's
1: huge. It is honestly the hugest thing, Neil. Um, Even in depth, that's one of the biggest things they're trying to weed out. They want to know who are the people that can take responsibility for their actions, who's going to lie to me. Because if you lie in training, if you're lying about little things, like you're saying, oh, I worked out five days this week, but you actually worked out one. Well, what else are you going to lie about?
0: Right? Mm -mm.
1: So, yeah, those are like really core um, competencies that really, if you can be a person of your word and um, someone who anyone is going to say, oh, yeah, that person stands by what they say and what they do. Or the work ethic is phenomenal or whatever it is. Right. um, Like stand true to that.
0: That's huge. So now I'm going to go to the other side. So this is why you're a great example, because you know, I, just, I just I just invited you on my show and then took a shot at you. Uh, this, you know, you, you are educated, uh, you're well-traveled, um, and I am often um, having this debate with my students these days. I'm like, I want policing and law enforcement to not be anti-intellectual. We need to stop saying, I don't need that book stuff, uh, because the book stuff actually adds value, it adds perspective. And I keep trying to make the point that, you're always going to get criticism for law enforcement, but we need to articulate. We need to accept criticism when it's realistic in our community, uh, but equally we have to be able to articulate rationally your position so so Mm -hmm. that nobody else is filling in the blanks for us. What would you say about the importance of education in your life journey towards policing? Do you need this book stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. I love to read you and it
1: definitely, it opens your, your world with you, Right. Um, it also just g- gives context to scenarios that you may have never been experienced or exposed to before. Uh, um, like I'm thinking about going back for my master's and for me, like it, that's really changed. Like, what would I go back for at this point in, in my career after I've only been in eight and a half years, but i think thinking about like psychology and counseling for P officers. And what does that look like? Like there is a huge need. Uh, mental health is a big thing that has been stigmatized for a long time. Um, but the amount of stuff that you see, it, it, most human beings aren't created to see that kind of thing in their lifetime, um, in the evil and whatnot. And so to for me, like, I just want to learn, like, why does my brain work the way it does? Why am I reacting this way? Like, why do behaviors do this or that? Um, and so the stuff I read right now, that's what that is geared towards. But absolutely, in all facets. I mean, at the end of the day, the RCMP is a large business corporation, Right. And so by the time you go through the ranks and you promote, um, you're more managing people than actually dealing with, like, law and criminal activities per se, right? right? So there's lots of learning to be done at all times. And there's a lot of places, like, that's where you see a lot of people kind of, like, start to separate a little bit. Those that want to learn more and grow, um, continue education and, um, and do the things to promote. I mean, there's lots of people that don't. Uh, and their skill sets are a little different, but for me personally, education is key. On, on lifelong
0: learning is a good thing. You know, yeah, it ge- it gives you a platform. You know, I I, I will leave it at uh, there's a quote from a friend of mine who is a long standing chief. He's retired now uh, in Ontario, and he I think you would have known him uh, while you were at school, but I don't remember. I won't mention his name in case he doesn't want me to. Uh, but he he once said to me while we were sitting over a coffee. Um, and he said, you know, I know cops with 30 years experience, and then I know other cops with one year of experience 30 times over. They haven't grown. And, you know, uh, that's a choice you make, and, you know, I have sort of kept trying to push this conversation around, let's be informed, let's be articulate, let's express ourselves with, you know, fact, Uh, because at the end of the day, there is a lot of opinions out there about law enforcement, but Generally, it's a small segment that gives the larger majority a terrible name. And yeah. uh, I think that the the larger majority need to speak up and, and speak often mm-hmm. and speak articulately and not just yeah. say, well, <laughs> because I'm a cop. And that's a terrible answer. That's a terrible, you, name, you know, yeah. it's not a good argument. All right, Sharon, I've taken up a lot of your time. I'm going to wrap it up here, but I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what advice would you give to my students that are presently in post-secondary? Wh- aspiring to be police officers what advice would you give them perhaps something we haven't covered that you would leave them with
1: yeah uh my advice would be figure out your why why you want to be a police officer what has inspired you like that intrinsic value we talked about earlier um it will push you through the really hard days uh policing is one of the ever-changing most exciting careers and also one of the most frustrating and like you said one wrong move um and your reputation can be completely garnished, right? Like, so at the end of the day, figure out why you want to be a police officer, figure out um, what your purpose is going to be. And know that there are so many niches. So if you have a specific skill set, um, or if you have a specific goal, um, sure. policing needs it in all things. Like you just look, even after the last 10 years, like since I was in your class, Neil, now you're doing this stuff online and we're oh, podcasts and all this kind of thing, right? Um so, policing itself, like, the internet is really an untouched world right now in policing. Like, we are just starting to kind of grasp that side of things. But it's yeah. the generation that's coming up now that has grown up with the internet uh, that really knows how to navigate and fight crime there, right. too. Um, so, really, there's, you find your why. Uh, make sure that you stay true to yourself and that you have an anchor uh, and some good work-life balance. Um, you got to keep yourself healthy. Uh, one of my friends, he says it's a career, not a crusade. So in the first few years, when you're on the job, you're really excited and you want to work all the time. And it doesn't take long for you to be burnt out or frustrated about the system or about the court system because it doesn't go the way you think it wants, that you want to. Um, and you need to take some time, uh, aside and get yourself grounded again. So do what you can to keep yourself healthy. Um, and, Join us. It's, it's a fun and rewarding career. Um, but it's definitely a difficult one at times. But honestly, I can't imagine doing anything else. And we need some good, solid human beings who are truth tellers. Please be truthful and think before you speak <laughs> and be kind. Cause honestly, um, like really like it's anti bullying day today, but kindness is changing the face of policing. And we're really seeing ourselves going into more of a role of community engagement um and communicators we call it verbal judo artists okay you gotta be a verbal judo artist uh because de-escalation with uh verbal skills is probably the best way that you're not going to get into a
0: fight so all right uh, so i, I nice. think sharon's saying <laughs> manage the things that are in your control and uh don't burn yourself out on things that are not in your control uh and that was uh i i really reduced her answer there but uh a lot of key points there <laughs> Sharon, if you want to send me some of those links uh, to social media accounts you were referencing earlier, you were telling my students, I'll put that in the description of this video uh, as well as in the description of the podcast. So if you're looking at the full description of the podcast, you should see uh, Sharon's links in there. Sharon, thank you very much uh, for being on Complexity Unpacked, where we're trying to have conversations that are open and honest. And uh, we're trying to put a face behind the badge and a face behind the vest. And I appreciate your time very much. I hope you'll come back and talk to me about something else again.
1: Sure. Love to. Thanks so much for having me, Neil.
0: All right, everyone. So that was uh, Sharon Forbes, Constable for, uh, I'm sorry, that was... Uh, okay. That's, okay. That's okay. Constable Peters. <laughs> um, Constable Peters uh, out in Alberta. And she's with the RCMP. I'm sure she would like you to take a look at the RCMP and consider them a viable option for your policing choices. Now, uh, Or if you found that this podcast tells you maybe policing is not for you, then spend a little bit more time reading and figuring it out. Find your why. That was her message. Um, Listen to my previous episode with her that I did. It was a great episode. We were talking about modern uh, slavery in a modern context. And this was a segment talking about her journey into policing. So once again, I appreciate your support. Thank you. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at at Professor Gonsalvis, hashtag Professor. Um, all things, uh, related to my love of dogs and, uh, you know, stay tuned for new episodes. Thank you. And have a good one.